0: Our sermon text this morning, we're taking a little break from Matthew, and I'm going to ask you to turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. We'll read verses 9 through 16 this morning, Paul's letter to the church in the city of Ephesus. Let's begin reading in verse 9. These are the words of God. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The grass withers, the flower fades. Uh, Amen. Please, Please be seated. Join me in prayer. Our gracious God, we ask now that you would take these words, your word, which you declare to us and embed it deeply into our hearts. We deeply long to live for your glory. We deeply long to mature each and every day, to grow in wisdom and understanding so that we might be more like Christ in his stature. We pray this in his name, amen. Um, we we talk, I, I think, a lot more and more about the state of, of our nation, the state of the West. I know that probably most of you, as a, maybe a daily habit, you spend at least a little bit of time watching the news, reading the news, however you consume it, maybe more than you should, I don't know. And so... Um, because of the state of things, which I know you know is not good, we find ourselves talking quite often about the state of things. Our country is in trouble. My anticipation is disintegration quite frankly. And we're going to get into that a little more detail in a couple of Sundays. But it's very important that you and I have the ability to diagnose the problem. What is it at its root? Well, if you want a diagnosis of our problem in the West, here it is. It is that the church suffers from systemic immaturity. So that's a that's a point. That's an assertion. Let me back it up just a little bit. Every two years, Ligonier Ministries conducts a state of theology survey. They finished the last one in 2022 and published some results. Let me give you just a couple bullet points here. Well, actually four, not two. Five. I'll give you however many I want. Okay. <laughs> 58%. Now, when I, when I give you these percentages, these are Southern evangelicals. Okay? These aren't Yankees. I'm not making any apologies. 58% of Southern evangelicals believe God accepts the worship of all religions. of southern evangelicals believe God learns and adapts to different circumstances. 64% of southern evangelicals believe Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. We're all Mormons, apparently. 45% of southern evangelicals believe Jesus was a great teacher but was not God. 57% of Southern evangelicals believe the Holy Spirit is a force, but is not a personal being. In other words, there are lots of people who wear the label Christian, yet have little conception of who Christ is and what he expects them to believe. Some, despite decades of professing the faith, remain children in their thinking and behavior, In fact, there are probably many who are more well-versed on why Florida State should have made it into the national championship tournament than they are the impeccability of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you don't know what that term means, point made. What we learn from Ephesians chapter 4 is that the will of Christ is that every believer grow to maturity through applied scriptural teaching. It's not hard. This is not rocket science, okay? This is not like the Lord is asking you to make a a journey, a hajj, every year so that you can go to uh, the top of Mount Everest where you'll learn some wisdom eventually. He's written it down for you. And it is the will of Christ that every believer grow to maturity through applied scriptural teaching. Now... In chapter 4 of Ephesians, it's a transition point. You notice in verse 1, Paul's favorite thing to do, so helpful. He begins with therefore. And it's a transition point. He's transitioning now to some application. He's he's given us a lot of theology in chapters 1 through 3, and in 4 through 6, he begins to apply it. He moves from theological exhortation to practical application. And this application is, what does he say in verse 1? Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. In doing so, the Ephesians will, according to verse 3, maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Why is there disintegration amongst the church? immaturity. Paul calls the Ephesians to unity, which is what the Spirit of God affects. And when considering men as individuals, Paul reminds that grace is given to each one according to the measure of Christ's gift in verse 7. In other words, just as your mama said, you are special. Not that special, but God, through Christ, has given each of you a unique gifting to be employed here at New Covenant and in the church universal. What Paul teaches us in this text, then, verses 9 through 16... is that it is the will of Christ for you to grow to maturity. But there's something for you to do. We're going to see this in two points, sigh of relief. First of all, every believer must mature. Every believer must mature. Now I'm going to start in verse 14. Look with me at chapter 4 verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So I want to start here in verse 14 because what Paul does in verse 14 is he, is he that, that's where we are. That's where you and I start out is in this place as ch- children as it were. And so what he shows us is that immaturity is a condition of nature. And and listen, not necessarily a sinful nature, but your sin makes your immaturity worse. Why can I say that? Well, because remember that Jesus in his humanity grew in wisdom. He learned the law of God. So he had to grow from childishness to maturity. You and I have to do that as well, applying our minds to the Word of God. But the other thing that you and I have is the childishness of sin, which entices us, makes us desire foolishness more and more. In other words, as well, we have a contentment with being dumb with not knowing the Word of God. And we have to overcome that. When I was a kid, I think I've told you this story before, but my, I went with my parents to a furniture store, and I was touching everything. And my dad said, stop touching everything. And the clerk came and told my parents that after my dad told me that, he saw me go and put my nose on a lamp I was being childish. You are gripped by childishness. And the thing about it is in your sin, you are comfortable with that. This injunction from Paul assumes that you are immature and childish or foolish in your thinking by nature. So what that means is that you can't live by impulses. You cannot expect it that your common sense is sufficient to enable you to live for God's glory. Because these things have been corrupted by the fall. They need sanctification. So to grow up, as Scripture says in so many places, to grow up means to put away your foolish thinking And embrace biblical thinking. This replacement process is a work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. Now, there are two dangers for you if you don't grow up. Two dangers. One, immaturity. This is a sub point, by the way, if you're following along. I thought you said you only had two. Immaturity breeds dangerous instability. You ever, you ever get the sense that your life you sort of you, is just back and forth, and you some days you're really happy, and then other days you're just down and depressed. There just seems to be a, a constant sort of back and forth and an instability of life. Paul ascribes this to a condition of immaturity. Notice what he says in verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves. I think of a bobber sitting on top of the water. It's just, it, it just, it's just carried. Where if the, if the waves go high, the bobber comes up high. If they go down low, it comes down low. In other words, it's not the piling of a bridge. It just floats. It's just carried along. There's no stability to it whatsoever if the waves represent the trials of life like they did for the apostles in Matthew's Gospel, then what we might envision here is the man whose, whose happiness is tied to his circumstances. There's just no stability. Your faith and, and your love for Christ depends on the season. During the rainy season, you love him little, but when the sun is out, you love him more. The, the other dangerous error is, is apostasy. Immaturity exposes you to dangerous error. Dangerous error. Instability and error. And notice what it says. You're carried about by three things. Carried about. Verse 14 again. Every window doctrine... Human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. Now, if you are not aware that the devil is a roaring lion and he's prowling about this earth and his ambition is simply to deceive you and that he uses human institutions and individuals to accomplish that person, then it's time to wake up. He peddles falsehood. And the danger of it is that he cloaks it in light. You are a person who's carried about by every wind of doctrine. Your belief is based on the fads of the day, not the Bible. You put your finger in the air. Well, what does everybody else believe? Well, that's what I believe, and you go along to get along. You're carried about by every wind of doctrine. You are carried about by human cunning. You see, you get this ongoing picture of just the unstable man. Immature believers are gullible. You go to the family bookstore and you say, What's on the shelf? What's the bestseller? I'll take that. This is the same person who believes he can get a luxury vacation for $199. Little Red Riding Hood could distinguish the wolfish characteristics in her grandmother, but not the fact that she was going to be devoured by the wolf. Immature believers are gullible. And you're carried about by craftiness and deceitful schemes. In Luke chapter 20, the scribes and the chief priests attempted to catch Jesus by crafting, by crafting and incriminating questions. And one of the things that you and I have to be aware of is that the devil, who has had his existence from before the, or from the founding of the earth, as it were, has had ages upon ages upon ages with his fallen angels to craft deceitful ways. And he entraps the mind and hearts of men. And he's only so happy to do that in little increments. He's got nothing but time in his view. And if you observe social media at all, you know that there is lots and lots of error that is cloaking itself as truth. Immaturity breeds two dangers. Instability, I would say emotionally, and instability doctrinally. Where the church isn't growing to maturity, what's going to happen? Falsehood is going to prevail. There are no prophetic voices saying, that's wrong. This is right. Here are some symptoms of immaturity. According to the Proverbs, if you want to learn about maturity and your own and be convicted, as I am often, read the Proverbs. Here are some symptoms. According to Proverbs 132, complacency. Somebody else will do it. Slanders. 10 18. Proverbs 122. The, the immature man hates knowledge. Doesn't want to grow. Uh, chapter 12, verse 15, he's right in his own eyes. He doesn't care what you think. He's always right because he thinks it. He flaunts his folly, according to 12 16. His, his sinfulness, he, he boasts about it. He despises repentance, according to Proverbs 13, 19. And according to the whole book of Proverbs, he loves to run his mouth and he never listens. These are symptoms of immaturity. And that's what we're experiencing today. The church is immature. There are many believers who simply do not take the time to grow in the faith. And so here we are. But what does that mean? What what is the that, that also means that there's a resolution and it begins it begins in your prayer closet. What's needed today is not a revolution in Washington, D.C., that is needed. But that's a symptom, not a cause, you see. The church leads. Jesus didn't die for the capital. He died for the church. And so what's needed today is an awakening in the church of Jesus Christ amongst us. What Macomb, Mississippi needs and, and all of our communities need is a reawakening in the church of Jesus Christ, a people of God who devote themselves again to growing in maturity. So let's think about two things I think that Paul prescribes for us. This is the second point. Every believer has to mature. That's number one. We have to go on from being childish. And the second thing is every believer matures through applied scriptural teaching. I, I think that's the answer. Applied scriptural teaching. Let me show you how this works out in a couple of ways. Notice with me verses 11 to 13 of Ephesians 4. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. That's verses 11 to 12. And so under this, I think first of all, we ought to notice that that if I want to grow to maturity... If I want to put away my childish ways, the first thing that you have to do is diligently heed the teaching of the word. Now, a lot to be said about verse 11, but just notice, notice with me, again, what, as Jesus, the picture here is Jesus ascending into heaven as a conquering king and he's dispensing gifts to his people, lavishly, just throwing them out like beads on Mardi Gras. He's throwing them to his people. Notice what he gives to the church. Verse 11, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Now, there's there's a point to be made that three of these offices don't exist anymore. Apostles, prophets, and evangelists. Those have gone away. That's another sermon for another time. What I want you to notice as you look at verse 11 is just the preponderance of who these men are. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. What do those offices do? They proclaim something. And this is sort of like if the new, if the, I know, I was going to say New England, but I know the Saints are in New Orleans. Imagine if the Saints drafted all quarterbacks every round. That's kind of like what this is. Jesus gives a He dumps teachers onto the church. And I think that very fact is something you and I ought to pause and think about for a second. That when Jesus is lavishing His gifts upon the church, what He gives are are men to, to proclaim the Word. He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. And each of these offices primarily functions to exhort people in the truth. They declare the truth. So for everyone observing this text, it ought to lead you to conclude that Jesus really wants you to humble yourself and learn. Christ gifted teachers. He also equips the saints. Notice verse 12. Why does he give these teachers? Well, it ain't so that teachers get a lot of publicity and spotlight. It is to equip the saints for doing the work of ministry. Every, in, in other words, one, one of the things you can take away from this is that every one of you plays a vital role in the life of the body. Every single one of you plays a vital role in the life of New Covenant Presbyterian Church and the church universal. You play a vital role... Your responsibility is to take the word and apply it. I think I can give you five simple ways to think about it. Think about the apostles. What are they? They're sent people. Think of yourself as a sent person. You are sent to help help others apply the word in their lives. You have that role. Think of prophets. What do they do? Well, they don't declare the future, mainly. Mainly, what they do is they go into hard places and they denounce evil. They say, That's evil. You need to repent. That's what a prophet does. You are gifted and equipped by the teaching of the word to denounce the evils of the age and call men to repentance. And then, evangelists. What's the evangelists do? Now, trust in Christ, come to Christ. For the forgiveness of your sins. And the shepherds and teachers, what do they do? Teach men how to obey Christ and watch over their souls. And you can just take those offices. How do they have a a, a reflection in the life of the believer? I think it's in that way. You're sent to denounce evil, to call men to repentance, to trust in Christ, and to obey Him. I think it's for this reason, if you think about what this verse is saying, that a church should be known more by the members than its pastor. I want you to think about that. If it's the pastors who are preaching the word and the peoples who are being equipped to go out and do the work of ministry and build up the body of Christ, then the church should be known in the community more by its members than its pastor. Oh, oh, I, I, yeah, I, I know about New Covenant. I know, I know John. Yeah, he led me to Christ. Oh, I, I, know, I know Robert. Yes, uh, he, he counseled with me. He took me to the word and showed me how to endure this hard time in my life. Don't be like the Dead Sea, in other words. Fresh water flows into it and it stops there. So you must diligently heed the teaching of the Word. That's the first solution. And then the second solution is this, that you must teach one another. You play a vital role in the body of Christ here as a mature believer. And, and so you're, you're pursuing, do you see what's happening? You're pursuing maturity for your own good. I want to be, I don't want to be unstable as water. I want to be a stable Christian. I don't want my emotions, my mindset to be determined by a my circumstances but you also mature so that you can help others and we're going to get into this in a, in about 4 weeks as we look at Hebrews 5 but notice what Paul says here verses 15 and 16 quickly rather speaking the truth in love we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly Makes the body grow. You see that? How does the body grow? Everybody pitches in. You demonstrate love for your neighbor because you speak the truth in love. You demonstrate a sincere desire for Christ's honor. because you want the body to grow. And you demonstrate a sincere love for Christ's church and that you exhort your brothers and sisters and encourage them by the Word. Every believer must mature, and every believer matures through applied biblical teaching. Where the Word is faithfully preached and where it is heard by saints... They go out and do the work of ministry. Men mature. Worship and church life become central priorities, and the influence of Christ's kingdom grows in the community. Remember, mature thinking isn't conferred by a degree or many. A man of many degrees may be as far from mature thinking as when he was potty training. Mature thinking isn't conferred by age or experience. Many men with white hair have less knowledge of Scripture than a 10-year-old with faithful parental discipleship. It is the will of Christ that every believer grow to maturity through applied scriptural teaching. To give you just a quote here from William Gurnall. Christian in complete, honor, uh, uh, Christian in complete armor. Three-volume set. Very good. He says this. We have known many who have gone into the field and liked the work of a soldier for a battle or two, but soon have had enough and come running home. There are so many professors and so few Christians indeed. Indeed. So many that run, and so few obtain. Many go into the field against Satan, and so few come out conquerors. Few have the courage and resolution to grapple with the difficulties that meet them in the way. Israel came joyfully out of Egypt, but when their bellies were a little pinched with hunger, they were ready to fly from their colors and make a dishonorable retreat into Egypt. Many who profess the gospel fail to endure when trouble comes, and alas, Their hearts fail them. Oh, how many depart from Christ at this crossroads. Why does this happen? Well, some, to be sure, are not actually converted. They are not possessed by the Spirit. But many, though adults in age, simply haven't matured in Christ one day past VBS. And that's essential. It's Christ's will for you, do you see, fundamentally to be stable. Stable in Him. It's His will that you not be exposed to every deceit and every evil that this age offers. And you, you become protected by that by clothing yourself in His Word. And you have a role in protecting others from instability by clothing yourself in His Word and applying the teaching to their lives. It is Christ's will for you that you and I both repent of slothfulness and give evidence of sincere faith by devoting ourselves to the means of maturity, which is applied scriptural teaching. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we come to you and, and we confess that, that each of us, to the degree that <clears throat> our thoughts are not completely conformed to your thoughts, we are immature. And so we confess that as a sin and ask that you would forgive us, Lord, for, for our slothfulness, if that's the reason that we, we're not maturing, um, complacency, Lord, or perhaps we, we seek your grace, Lord, that you would work in us by your spirit to, to help us have a deeper grasp of your word. Um, we want to mature. We want to mature for our own sake. We want to mature for your glory. We want to mature for the good of our community, that the kingdom of, that your kingdom might go forth here, and, and for the good of our church, Lord, so that we might be faithful members who love on one another by counseling and encouraging from the word. Would you work in us according to your good pleasure? We pray in your name, O oh Lord, amen.